Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. And welcome back. It's been a minute, but we have returned to Affected by Altitude as always. We appreciate you joining us here. It's been a moment since uh, you heard from us as we have taken a bit of a break while the offseason rages on. But we are back. Of course, my name is Mac Wilcox. I am joined by my two compatriots here in this baseball-less season. As always, Skylar Timmons. Just like Toby Maguire and Willem Dafoe and what's-his-face, I will am also back. Nice. Dude, how sick is that movie going to be? Very. And Evan Lang. Uh, it's Alfred Molina is who you're leaving out. And also, Tobey Maguire's not confirmed. It's just pretty obvious that he's going to be in the movie. Bro, and Andrew Garfield? Oh, it's going to be so I could, I could pass on Andrew Garfield. It's going to be so lit. And they already showed that they can, too, considering the uh, new Electro design. True. It does look fire, though. Jamie Foxx? Oh, man. But... This, uh, as much as I want it to be a Marvel movie podcast, is in fact Affected by Altitude, which is a Rockies-affiliated website. This is your one-stop shop for all of your Rockies news, updates, changes, signings, re-signings. Those are the kind of things we're going to talk about in the offseason. It is hosted by Purple Row, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. Like I've said a couple times, it's been a minute since I've heard from some of y'all, so we do like to start these here uh, podcasts with a bit of an icebreaker, so 
an easy one I want to ask both of y'all. So you, Skyler, how have you been spending your offseason? Any baseball-related activities or anything else you've been doing just to pass the time in these uh, here winter months? Uh, it's mostly just continually looking for an actual job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dig it. So Dig it. that's kind of been the main thing. Otherwise, just been chilling like a villain, watching Malcolm in the Middle, catching up on Great show. some shows. and uh, Purple Row related, I've been doing a... Purple Row Sim kind of resurrected yes, that has. that Purple Row did last year during the COVID, I guess, hiatus. And mm-hmm. so I'm doing my What If series of the 2007 World Series, which been pretty fun. It's just getting my, my rusty skills back, doing play-by-play. Totally. And the uh, offense really ticked up in Game 3, didn't it? And it gets even better in Game 4 whenever we put that one out. Bang. There's your guys' plug. Keep an eye on the site for that, man. It's been a lot of fun watching Skyler go through these games and do this what-if series. It's like watching baseball games here in the offseason, man. Why not? Evan, what have you been up to? Uh, working way too much. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Watching a lot of hockey, watching a lot of football, waiting for baseball to be back. Because... you kind of been our go-to breaking news guy throughout this offseason so far. Well, and hopefully there's more news to cover. I've also been enjoying doing the uh, weekly rock piles on Thursday for the site, but it really Absolutely. is just, I'm, it's been, you know, a month and I'm already wanting baseball back in a major way. <laughs> <laughs> totally, man. It goes by so agonizingly slow, doesn't it? Very much so. So I, I sit around, I watch hockey, I build model kits and I wait for baseball to come back. All good things, but this is what we do. I mean, we try to fill in that gap between the offseason for all y'all. And, you know, the reason we want to do this sort of monthly deal is, of course, because the offseason is naturally a bit slower uh, as far as news than the regular season. But now we actually have a pretty good amount of news to cover, specifically starting with the Rockies. We're going to be talking a lot about these signings and some of the potential leaving situations. So one of the bigger ones I'll start with here is that Elias Diaz officially just signed a three-year extension with the Colorado Rockies. He'll be sticking around here in Colorado for at least the next three seasons. Uh, what do you guys make of that? You happy to have Diaz back officially behind the plate? Uh, I know we all mentioned here in our awards um, episode last time about that he really took some steps forward. Are you guys happy with the Diaz resigning, or is it a bit of a wasted uh, opportunity? We'll start with you, Evan. Uh, I think it's a really solid deal, especially it's not – particularly back-breaking. It's um, $14.5 million for a three-year extension. It um, brings him through the last year of arbitration, which would have been 2022, and then two years of free agency. Uh, keeps him on contract through the 2024 season, which is roughly when uh, Drew Romo, our uh, major catching prospect down in the farm system, is expected to be major league ready. Um and if that is the general time frame, that works out really well because we have, if he can continue his performance from the, especially the second half of last year, where he really was just the, the catcher that the Rockies have really needed for quite some time, both in terms of defense and offensive power, mm-hmm. then we're in business. And if for whatever reason he's unable to keep that up or anything like that, the, uh, Roughly five million AAV is not exactly backbreaking. Uh, I'm really happy to have Elias back. His teammates really love him. He seems like an all-around really good guy. The uh, his June through October were just so so 
fun and exciting where he, you know, finished the season top three in home runs for National League catchers and top 10 overall, um, the lowest strikeout rate of all qualified catchers in the league. He was really solid, and he was the exact kind of offensive threat the Rockies have needed from their backstop position for mm-hmm. years now. I touched on it on my article on the site that uh, covers the extension, but this is the first time the Rockies have had this much uh, war from a catcher since Wileen Rosario in 2013. And it's Mm -hmm. only the third catcher in franchise history to log a uh, war wins above replacement over 2.0. Dig it. That's a pretty great breakdown right there. What do you got in the Skyler? And I like with the, we think back to Wileen Rosario, that war mostly was offensive because Wileen Rosario was not good behind the dish. And (laughs) so now the Rockies have a catcher that they can trust behind the plate who has worked, works well with the pitchers on the mound. Uh, A cannon of an arm can cut down runners, fields the position very well. So it's nice to have that experience and skill behind the plate that the Rockies have kind of been lacking over the years, you know, because they committed to Chris Iannetta, old man, Chris Iannetta. We had Jonathan Lucroy for just a little bit. And so this, it's nice to finally have what feels like a complete package behind the dish. And, yeah, it's perfect to have him around to fill that gap, bridge that gap until one of our top prospects is ready, Andrew Romo. And, hey, if somebody else pops up during spring training or something, you know, it kind of puts Dom Nunez on the bubble of you know, what the Rockies do with him, where he's can stick as the backup or – Maybe he's the odd man out, and they replace him with somebody else to get experience at the big league level. But it's nice to have Diaz. They're kind of that continuity again. And what's nice is it's a reward for him because during his time down in Pittsburgh or out in Pittsburgh, he had the makings of some good, some being a good ball player. His 2018 was was pretty dang good, but he kind of fell back in 2019, dealt with concussions, other injuries, and so for him to come to Colorado and kind of have this. No resurgence again. It's nice to see a good story for him, and no, it's good to have him around. Yeah, and it's like mm-hmm. that that 2018 season for him in Pittsburgh. He had like a 114 weighty runs created plus, and then yeah, his 2019 he just sort of sort of plummeted, and they, uh, I think they non tendered him after the 2019 season. The Rockies picked him up, and he showed some offensive promise during that shortened 2020 season. And we were all, I guess, a little alarmed and frustrated with the beginning of Diaz's season here in 2021 because that April and May was tough, to say the least. But the way he turned it around and was so durable and so reliable in the the second half of the season was so, so big for this ball club and so, so big for him. And I'm happy to have him around. Absolutely, man. Plus, catchers are hard to come by especially ones you trust, and you know that's usually the free agent market that's pretty lean, uh, where it's mm-hmm. usually like, hey, let's get you know, Alex Avila again. <laughs> Somebody that's like yeah. late 30s who really doesn't have much left in the tank in any aspect. So he's a young catcher, 30. He'll be 31 in the 2022 season, or he just turned 30. So he'll be pretty much the whole, that whole season. Why not? So he's still relatively young by baseball standards and 
know, it's a good way to bridge the gap. Absolutely. So I think we're all in agreement that this is a pretty good move for the Rockies. Obviously, Diaz was integral in helping the Rockies pitching staff uh, this past season, which we've spoken at length about is easily their brightest point consistently throughout the season was their starting pitching. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. I think it's a very, very smart uh, and, like Evan said, cost-effective sign. You're not going to break the bank, but certainly something that's going to help them out uh, here for the next few years. So dig it, man. Good to have him back. And it seems, what's cool is it seems like he was pretty happy to be back as well. You know, he was very vocal on social media about how happy he was to be back with the Rockies, um, you know, to stay in the organization. So, you know, that obviously helps as well. A couple other moves, pretty rapid fire. None of these are, none of these next few are very surprising. Uh, we've got Charlie Blackman, unsurprisingly, is going to stick around with the Rockies. He opted in. Uh, Jodelis Chassin is back on a one-year deal as well. Uh, the Rockies uh, opted out of Ian Desmond's contract, so he is gone. And then, of course, Trevor Story opted out um and so he is going he did not take the qualifying offer specifically so he is officially a free agent all four of those things are basically expected i think it'd be safe uh, safe to say uh none of those deals are particularly surprising but talk about them as you will what do you all you know take from those anything that is surprising to you maybe one of those more significant than the other what do y'all got on this for me one that Oh, it's the unsurprising one of Charlie Blackman sticking around. And, yeah, yeah he had a down year in in 2021. But, you know, he is the leader of this group. And we talked about him when we did our award show and everything. You know, mm-hmm. Charlie Blackman is the Colorado Rockies. He's the face of the franchise, especially now. And, you know, he's that Todd Helton character. So it's rough that the price tag that he's playing at, but it doesn't matter because everybody loves Chuck. Love to keep him around, and you know he's bought into this team, which is nice, and he's accepted that leadership role, and he sees the fa- he has faith in this young group, and so for him to stick around and be that example for these players and show them how to play the game, how to be a big leaguer, that goes a long way. And I'm sure after this offseason, he's going to figure things out, come back again, and hopefully be the Chuck that we all know and love at the plate. But it's good to have Bl- Chuckles back, good old Chuckles. Uh, but then uh, Chassin, that's also – I know we've talked about this one. It was one that could have – I would have been fine either way. If he stayed, if he left, it mm-hmm. didn't really matter. Uh, mm-hmm. But over the season when he – the great season that he had, and kind of like Diaz, he wants to stay in Colorado. He loved being here, wanted to stick around. And that kind of seems to be a common thread that we've seen so far here in, in this off season, and with the Rockies these past couple of years. But – with that indication that they want to keep him as a long reliever, that, that that's going to be the interesting one where he spent a whole season pretty much as the back-end bullpen guy, as a mm-hmm. setup man. How does he do transitioning back to kind of that long reliever, uh, the Chichi Gonzalez role that he was holding, take that back over, or maybe even, who knows, you slot him into the, <laughs> the, the fifth spot if they can't keep John Gray around. Yeah, so, true. But it, both of those moves – the Rockies like keeping the gang together, and uh, it's just the way they are. So keep guys that want to stick around. They're at least happier playing here, and you don't have as much drama. Yeah, the drama obviously is a huge pain to deal with. But, uh, no, I think you're exactly right about that breakdown. I also think it's fair to say that, yeah, Blackman's the leader of the team. you got to keep him around, especially with everything else going on. What do you got from this, Evan? Uh, I have a couple things I want to touch on on that. Uh, first thing it. I want to say is that um, you both have touched on and um, one of our 
colleagues and former uh, Purple Row writers, Ben on, you guys may remember, used to uh, write for Purple Row. We still see him frequently on social media and stuff like that. He brought up that it really does seem like the the players who are here with the Rockies do seem to like playing with the Rockies in terms of being bought out for arbitration or extended or brought back because Blackman opted in. Oberg says he wants to stay. We uh, extended Herman Marquez. We extended Antonio Sanzatela and CJ Crone and mm-hmm. now Elias Diaz. And we brought back uh, Jolis Tassin, who who said that, you know, being in Colorado is being home, that this is where he wants to be, and he feels like he's home now. And so I think that says a lot. A lot of people, you know, talk about that maybe the Rockies don't have the best clubhouse culture or something like that with how things sort of broke down with Nolan Arenado and with uh, Trevor Story leaving. But it really does seem to be that that really only is a thing for the the really, really, really huge contracts. And not even necessarily in that case, because you know, Charlie Blackman's getting paid uh, a pretty hefty chunk of change in the next two years, but mm-hmm. has said that this is where he wants to be, that he has, you know, he's opted in for this coming season that he plans to opt in for uh, 2023. And I mean, He's also going to be, you know, 36, 37 at the end of his contract. But the fact that, you know, he could leave and take less money to go try and win a ring somewhere, and he hasn't, is, I I do think, speaks about the the Rockies clubhouse culture, that there are players who want to be here. And I think that not every team is so lucky. Um, A couple other things. um, Touch on Charlie Blackman. The um, the second half of his season was really a big improvement over the first half. We have talked about before that the whole thing with him was that pitchers were approaching him differently, and he sort of had to completely mm-hmm. reevaluate his plate approach. And you can see that in his second half, because first half of the season he slashes 261, 358, 364, only four home runs, and, um, you know, it, not terrible, not great, but not the not the Chuck we're expecting. Then in the second half, he slashes 281, 341, and 468 with nine home runs. How about that? And, you know, that seems a lot more his uh, jam. I will say he drew less walks in the second half of the season, but he didn't strike out that much more. Um, so I think in the in the coming season, I think I can you can be cautiously optimistic about. Uh, how Charlie is going to perform, you know, I I think it's going to be that we can expect him to you know, be Charlie Blackman, and maybe he does hit less home runs again, but he's still going to be a um, productive contributor for the team. Uh, Julius Chassin, really happy to have him back on a very cost-effective deal, only uh, $1.25 million for the next season. It would be, I think, weird to move him back into long reliever role, especially when he was so strong as a late inning and setup man. In yes. the last season, but it really is that we'll just we're gonna have to sort of see how that goes because the bullpen's gonna have a lot of young talent flowing into it this year, and there's already several guys like Logan Kozar who are probably going to be competing for a bullpen role. Um, Ian Desmond not particularly surprised that the uh, club declined the final option of his contract. I don't think he's 
was planning on coming back to baseball anyway. It sounds like he is working much more on his um, philanthropic efforts uh, hmm. down in Florida, and and good on him. Desi's such a such a great guy, and his one hundred percent the work that he does in the community is really really, I think, underappreciated in the the Rockies fan base because. Yeah, maybe his his time playing here wasn't so great, but Desi the human being is is a really excellent guy. And then I don't think anybody's surprised that Trevor Story's opting out. So that sort of just it. goes down the list. <laughs> it does. No, that's perfect, man. Excellent well, stuff. I, 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 yeah, I had something kind of building off what 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 uh, Evan said. And when we're talking Please. about these these players, it's those kind of the superstars that are a little bit having more of a hard time wanting to stick around in Colorado. And it's a hard balance because, yeah, you want those guys to you – know, you want them to win a ring. That's the whole goal of baseball is that you want to win. And I know we've talked about this before, sometimes with Nolan Arnato, even Troy Tulowitzki, that some of these guys, they get so focused on wanting to win that it kind of sours their personality and the effect they're having on a club that, you know, like the Rockies, isn't – going to the playoffs every year, isn't in contention every year. And it weighs on him, and it, that kind of brings a club down sometimes, and sometimes to the detriment of that player themselves, you know, where they get worried about so much of everything else and you know that drive that it, it kind of hurts them. And we saw Trevor's story this year, you know, where pretty much everybody, I think everybody knew and accepted that as soon as Arnauto was gone and all of that drama cam, cam, comes out, that Trevor's story is like, yeah, I'm not sticking around this dump. You know, I want to go win somewhere else. And mm-hmm. he didn't have a great year, and that was partly injuries and just maybe other things weighing on his mind that you know, he kind of had an un-Trevor Story-like year. And then the tread di- deadline comes and goes, and you know, when he takes himself out of the lineup and he's visibly like really upset that he's still there, you know, that it, it, it weighs on a team, the player and the team, and so – no, I like that there's these guys that are coming to the Colorado just because they like the atmosphere, they like playing on the team. You know, I know behind the scenes, the Rockies front office now and ownership, everybody's probably very delightful people. Um, but we only ever talk about the the business side of things that they're not very good at. But I think behind the scenes, sure. person to person interactions, they're very good at that, and that resonates with the players. Uh, and it's a family atmosphere. <laughs> family-friendly organization, and you know, to have guys that want to stick around and contribute to that, be a part of that, no, that that is, goes a long way. And for some of them, when they contribute a lot of production and are effective players in the organization, that also helps out a lot. So it mm-hmm. it's a weird dichotomy how everything works, but it, it's those superstars that are you know, their personalities, like, I got to win no matter what. It, it creates some drama and some problems that we're seeing with the Rockies. That's interesting yeah. because both Nolan and Trevor had somewhat similar uh, final seasons in Colorado where their offensive performance was down and partially their defense wasn't as good as we normally expect and both had you know injury concerns. And now, you know, at the end of both of those seasons, they, you know, depart for greener pastures as it were and i don't i don't necessarily think it reflects 
that poorly on guys like Nolan and Trevor. They are the the hyper competitive, we have to win kind of guys. Mm-hmm. And you sort of you knew that with Nolan long before you know he was leaving. Where you Definitely. know you would see him get very visibly upset um, when the Rockies were doing poorly, and you know be angry and you know throw things around, yell at people in the dugout and I don't think that's necessarily makes him like a bad person or a bad teammate or anything like that but when you're hyper competitive like that you're probably not going to be happy forever in an organization like the Rockies or or even several other organizations across the league like do you think Nolan or Trevor would go to Pittsburgh and be or Baltimore or Baltimore or and be just so thrilled to be there Probably not, and I'm not trying to like denigrate on those teams or anything like that. But when you have hyper competitive superstar level players, they want to win. Versus, yes. you know, the Rockies right now. I think a lot of our guys is, of course, they do want to win, but they also want to, you know, play ball. And they're part of a a good clubhouse culture that I think is fostered by uh, coaching staff. Like you know, Buddy Black is is really, really well-liked with his players and stuff like that. So it really is just, it's it's sort of difficult to overall, what's the word I'm looking for? Not process, but go over the fact that, you know, Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado, not bad people, not bad teammates, but it just sort of, at the end of the day, this is where we are. Yeah just one of those things man yeah it's when they're putting so much pressure on themselves um because we know both Arnado and Trevor's story felt like they had to carry this carry these teams and I think that weighs a lot on them and I know for me that pressure would make me upset with the organization that they're not kind of spreading out the load or you know and we both everybody loves Nolan and Trevor they're great guys great players and I think just that pressure eventually weighing on them so much from the organization that, yeah, you're our superstar and we need you to perform. And they expected themselves to like, oh, man, I need to go out there and I need to win this ball game single-handedly because I don't have any. Mm-hmm. You know, that pressure and whatever's going on with their head. You know, and it probably will be better you know, for, for Trevor to find somewhere else where he can contribute to a you – know, just be a cog – in the machine of a team instead of kind of being the the engine that's supposed to be driving it forward. Yeah, where he can still be the superstar, but he's not expected to carry the team on his back. Exactly. Where he might be in a smaller market or less competitive team. Because the, like, heck, let's say if, hypotheticals, he goes to the Cardinals. If he goes to the Cardinals, that is a team that has a ton of other very talented players that are also, well, not necessarily superstars. They distribute the weight more evenly than, uh-huh. you know, the Rockies this year where we had a lot of rookies and we had a lot of, of less experienced guys. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because every team needs to roll out their younger guys and see what they've got. But, you know, when you're fielding an entirely very young team with just a handful of veterans and the one superstar, it's not exactly a, a World Series team. And, you mm-hmm. know, I would bet Trevor did feel that, you know, he had to put the team on his back. Yeah, and, and it's that with Charlie Blackman, 
none of us are expecting Charlie Blackman to be out there to drive the offense. No, nobody expected Todd Helton uh, at that age to go out and hit 40 bombs and all that, but to just be a contributor in that lineup. You know, and, and so it's just interesting to see how those relationships are developing with the Rockies and the guys they're going after where, honestly, it's getting harder to see the Rockies ever drawing in that big superstar um, or being able to hold on to them for very long anymore, just the way things have been running the past couple of years. But I could always be wrong. Who knows? Z- Zach no, Veen could prove us wrong. <laughs> yeah, right? 20-year no, Rockies career, Hall of Fame, retired number. That's right, man. Watch it. It's going to happen. But, no, I think that that's a good distinction to make because, like – you know how much it's it's really one of those things where so many fans and you guys are on social media like I am you all see it like how many fans look at situations like Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story whatever and again we're never going to know the exact details of these things but a lot of people look at situations like these where these guys end up leaving as sort of a well you know they don't want to have to be the leader and they would rather be on a team with other superstars and it's like well yeah kind of it's a lot of pressure to have on a guy like Trevor Story or Nolan Arenado or whoever, to be the sole driving force, uh, you know, on a team that is not that good. So to have that protection in the, in your lineup and even on the field to a certain degree of other, maybe like you said, I mean, not superstar caliber players, but definitely solid players. It's a it's a big deal to them, and it makes the game more fun, frankly. And it's not necessarily either a failing of the player to want to move on or to want to win or to, you know, want to try things out in a different city. The same way it's not necessarily a failure of the organization to retain superstar talent constantly. Right. And, like, don't get me wrong, I do not love how things went down with Nolan Arenado, nor do I, I love how things went down with Trevor Story, where, you know, the the whole thing with the trade deadline where he felt like he was expected to move and then wasn't and then how they offered him the you know qualifying offer with the full expectation that he wasn't going to take it and get that draft pick but at the same time Trevor Story is going to command a lot of money elsewhere and the the Rockies don't necessarily have the ability to pay that much money. And even if they could, you know, smaller market team, the the Rockies have a a decent amount of payroll, but you can only afford Mm -hmm. so many superstars. And Trevor Story has every right to, you know, want to go and see if he can try and win elsewhere. And the Rockies, they may have not done things particularly well in terms of either of these situations, but they also have the right to want to move on from players who, you know, are not happy here or or are becoming, you know, sort of too rich for their blood. And the, the Nolan thing was, was definitely bad. It was a total breakdown between the players in the front office, and I don't think it was going to end any other way than Nolan leaving. But the same thing with, with Trevor's story is that I think even if he had, like, a really good season this year, I was not necessarily expecting him to stay regardless because he's he's a superstar shortstop and they're, those are going to be in high demand and the market is going to be crazy for that. There's a lot of guys who are going to make a lot of money this offseason and Trevor Story deserves to 
go and and make that money and you know get that bag secure your secure your paycheck but the rockies also have the right to not be able to or willing to pay that amount well and the problem right there was back with the deadline of they almost felt like a slap in the face to trevor story when they kind of come out and say that pretty much a comp- compensatory, uh, the compensation pick is what they valued more mm-hmm. than, you know, whatever else they could get for Trevor's story. Because I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know, <laughs> a couple of decent players for Trevor's story probably would have made story feel good. You no, know, it helps them feel valuable in a trade of like, man, this is like, two, this is what they value me at. This other team, you know. And even the team that I'm leaving, they value me enough. You know, they wanted this stuff. But the fact that they're like, no, nothing was good enough, and we're just going to take the one pick. You know, it, it's not a good way to, to run things. You know, personally, to me, it, I don't know. It, it's he story's definitely worth more, and he's going to get paid this offseason. You know, he's worth way more than a just one little draft pick, uh, whoever that soul is when next June comes around. Or July, oh, but stories worth in. Best of luck to him. But the Rockies can take that money and you know, spread it out to where they need to, whether it be these extensions or addressing their other needs. You know, find themselves a, a veteran shortstop for a couple of years until mm-hmm. you no know, Ezekiel Tovar is ready or whoever they're yep. they're looking at as their next big piece in the middle infield. And I Absolutely. and I, I agree with you, but at the same time, I do not think it was an intentional like insult to Trevor oh, Story no. from the Rockies front Absolutely. office. I think that is just unfortunately how it came across, and and I can definitely understand you know Trevor Story being yeah. unhappy that you know the the team is valuing a compensatory draft pick more than the return that they could get for him by dealing him at the deadline, but that is just sort of how the front office operates, especially with um, Bill Schmidt as the new general manager. His bread and butter is the draft. He has been running the the Rockies draft for years now. And if he thinks that, you know, with his, um, with his power now as the new GM, that he can do well with that compensatory draft pick, that's what he's going to do. But I can definitely see where, you know, that, probably wouldn't feel great to have your team go, well, more than anything we can get for you, we just want this draft pick. Yeah. Part of it, too, I think, uh, is the – and we're going to take an ad break here real quick, but I do just want to finish this last little point. Part of it, I think, might have been how poorly received the Nolan Arenado trade was, obviously. Um, Once Arenado got moved for, at the times, you know, picks that were considered not – that great or the or especially you know just the money that was paid to the cardinals to essentially take nolan arnado off the hands of the rockies i wonder and i have no you know nothing to back this up with you know this is purely conjecture but i just wonder how much of that was in the rockies front office mindset of okay you know what let's just hang on to trevor story we'll let him walk and we'll get this draft pick because like you know evan just said they really do a good job of drafting and scouting some talent you know that's where all these names come from and we don't want to have to deal with the potential fallout of a bad trade like that again. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. That was just my kind of two cents I want to throw in real quick. I would absolutely be not surprised if that was the case because 
and and I've said, especially here at the end of the season, I am actually a lot, lot higher now on a lot of the young men that the Rockies got back in return for Nolan Arenado. And while the trade still stings, you know, I wrote a big end of season retrospective on how uh, these players did at the end of their first season, and there's a lot to be happy with, especially with guys like Tony Losi and uh, Elihuris Montero, and even um, like Mateo Gill could be a really important contributor down the line, but at the time, the trade was really poorly received, and I think even still now, the, the monetary aspect of that $51 million stings for a lot of people, and I absolutely yeah. would not be surprised if you're absolutely right here, where the, the front office and maybe even you know Dick Monfort were like, I don't want to go through that again. Let's just, you know, roll with this punch and then not have everybody be mad at us when the return isn't what they wanted or not good enough. Right, exactly. But it, any other last minute points on this thing? At Scott, least Bill Schmidt and company just expressed how much they love Trevor's story, and how much they, yeah. how much he knows that they want him to stay. Because that's what yeah, really at least matters. We have that. that is, that's at the end of the day, love. I think it matters. That's what I think it matters a little bit. And at the very least, I think you know Trevor Story getting sort of his swan song at Coors Field um, at the towards the end of the season was also important because. I think he does know, and I think Nolan knows as well, that, you know, the fans are always going to love him. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Well, we have another superstar that might be leaving, but we're going to talk about that here after this ad break, because we need a break from that one. (laughs) So uh, stick with us. Like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about John Gray. We're going to talk about the uh, Albuquerque Isotope's new hitting coach, a name you all might be familiar with. And then we're also going to talk the end of the season awards, the MVPs, the Cy Youngs, managers, gold gloves, all that good stuff. Might have some uh, controversial winners on that we want to talk about. So stick with us through this ad break. We'll have that coming up here in just a few. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us through that ad break. We had finished up the first half talking about the departing, more than likely departing Trevor Story. We're going to do the same in the second half, but this time with Mr. John Gray. We've talked a bit about this in the few podcasts we've done leading up to the end of the season. John Gray... Uh, weird situation. This is, again, it's all kind of secondhand knowledge for us, but my understanding is that there were talks with, at the start of the season about him re-signing. John Gray has been very vocal throughout the season about how much he'd love to stay in Colorado, but apparently there was not much traction in the discussions about what that would look like. Then, apparently, towards the end of the season, within the last you know week or two of the season, they offered him a contract that was frankly very low ball uh not really the kind of money that someone of his uh stature would command and now you know it looks like john gray may officially be on his way out of colorado again we've talked about this a lot in the last few podcasts but now we have a bit more information and the offseason officially upon us what do you guys have on john gray's future with the rockies or future in another organization so it's complicated. I think it sure is. There, there's a lot of overreacting and underreacting and reacting in general a lot to the current John Gray situation, and there are there are many different sides to it because we could argue the the quote unquote worth of a player till the cows come home, and there are so many different ways that you can you can talk about what a player is worth. But they didn't extend him a qualifying offer. Um, personally, I think, and I've seen some other people echo this sentiment because they did not want to pay him $18.4 million for a single season. 
Um, they, but they also, I think, made a huge mistake in waiting to open contract talks with him until the very, very end of the season, where at the all-star break they were going, we're taking him off the market because he says he wants to stay and we want to keep him around. That's all well and good, but then they didn't extend him an offer until the last homestand of the season. And think of all the headway they could have made if they had just been negotiating consistently during that time. Uh, and the, um, the contract, I would argue, was definitely a low ball from them. I think the Rockies miscalculated with maybe expecting that John would take uh, more of a hometown discount sort of deal um, on the on the hope that, you know, John needs the Rockies as much as the Rockies need John Gray, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. So the Rockies did not do a great job with this from the get-go. But on the other hand of things, I can also see where the organization is coming from because, so they offered... Um, John Gray, what was it, like three years in between 35 and $40 million. And that's definitely lower, both in time and in money. But it is also in line with what the Rockies are paying their other pitchers right now. Um, especially if you're looking at the Herman Marquez and the Antonio Sensatela deals. So Sensatela just got extended for five years, $50.5 million. Um, but he is only getting paid $7.5 million in, in 2022. It's, it's a very backloaded contract. And Armand Marquez, his contract was also backloaded, where he you know, didn't get paid that much last season, but then this year he's making a lot more, but he's still only making something like $11 million. So I can definitely see where they are coming from with this kind of an offer, at least monetarily, is that they are trying to keep all of their rotation guys you know, contractually sort of in line with one another and how sure. much they're paying so that they are not breaking the bank on their rotation, which is, you know, bit them in the butt in uh, historically. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the offer I still think was a little too low. Uh, I think if you had done uh, a similar deal to, you know, Sensatela or to Marquez more in like the like the the four or five years and 45 to 50 million dollars that brings him more in line because it still would have overall annual value been less than what Sensatella is making and I can see why you know John would turn that down because he doesn't need the Rockies as much as the Rockies need him the Rockies need him because he is a guy who has proven that he can pitch at altitude but a ton of other teams could benefit from his services. Uh, apparently the Detroit Tigers are quite interested in him as well. And I think that's a place where he could do well. And it's not, hope is not all lost that he's not going to come back, but I will say it's probably not looking good at this point. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty great breakdown right there. It's about the money side of things. What do you got on this guy there? Well, I, I, they, the fact of the matter is I'm jumbling over myself, but yeah. the fact that John Gray, near the deadline, said, hey, I want to stay in Colorado. And for the Rockies, they're like, oh, yeah, like that's awesome. We want you to stay. But the fact that they should have had a deal done right before the trade deadline, as soon as that happened or you know, long before the season ended, they should have been having that discussion all along, exchanging 
no numbers back and forth and negotiating that extension because no the Rockies put the starting offer at the end of the season. No, the three years roughly no the thirty five to forty million range, that's the starting point, and then they should have kept having that discussion, you know, throughout the rest of the season before he hits the open market. Because you know, the, personally for me, the Rockies were close on you know, what I would be comfortable paying John Gray. You now you can give him a little bit more, even up to fifteen million a year, you know, for four years. You know, I personally for me that would be in line with what I would be willing to give John Gray, because he is John Gray is kind of a he's still kind of a wild card. We haven't you know, had him. We've seen bits and pieces of what John Gray can do. We've seen the highs and the lows of John Gray. And, you know, even partway through 2021, he started to really struggle to even reach the fifth inning or so. And so it, it, I can see both sides of this where the Rockies were at the starting point. Like, this is what we want to start off with in our budget. And then I see John Gray's camp. Like, like any free agent, yeah, I want to see what I'm worth to other teams. And, you know, sometimes what's the, the biggest, best deal I can get because I'm in that camp where more often than not a free agent's going to go where the where a team values them the most and wants to sure. to deal out the money. And you no know, and I think now we're seeing the starting pitching market starting to heat up where we can kind of get a better idea of what John Gray's value is and I think that's what their idea was is to just see what the open market has because mm-hmm. you know we see Eduardo Rodriguez, he's over with the Tigers now. Oh, and there were comparisons you saw on Twitter where you know, Eduardo Rodriguez is just a little bit, probably a little bit better, compares really closely to John Gray, and he got paid, what was it, like $15 million a year or whatever his deal is over in Detroit. No, and we're seeing – Yeah, it's like five for 77 or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and so we're seeing that but, can kind of set the market for John Gray and you know, player comparisons and whatnot. And, no, I, I can understand the Rockies would want to kind of have – bit of that home home discount because that's basic their business economics is in baseball is you want to try to build a team with as little money as possible <laughs> you want to be a, a smart budget oh and it would be nice to have john gray back but i'm also in the camp where i'm not going to be heartbroken if he leaves because he's getting older oh he's still in that 30 years old range so he's right about there but he also hasn't wowed me enough throughout his career to command those big bucks. But again, that's part of him being in Colorado. So it, there's a lot of variables to it. It'd be nice if they would keep him around you know, because he is that proven starter at home. He likes pitching in Colorado. And like we were saying in the first half, he's a player who wants to stay here. So the Rockies need to do what they can to make sure he stays. And yeah. definitely – the the main thing for me out of all of this is that the Rockies should have been bouncing numbers at him way earlier mm-hmm. because look at how they jumped on getting, you know, CJ Crone his contract before he hit the open market and got a really favorable deal. And I think that's what they should have done with John, where they should have been bouncing numbers back and forth. And like if that, you know, three years, 35 to 40 million was the starting point, then 
they could have started that at the trade deadline and been like, all right, you don't like that? Well, how about four years for 50 or something like that and been bouncing numbers at him? Because now it does it does make things more complicated that he's hitting the open market, despite the fact that it does give the Rockies a look at you know what the adjusted market values for this offseason are. So it's really, I don't know, it's tricky. I, I definitely would be sad to see John Gray go. I really like John Gray. Uh, and I don't think there's an immediate um, option in the the Rockies farm system to sort of take his place right now because mm-hmm. um, Peter Lambert I don't think is ready. He's you know still recovering. He only had those two starts in 2021 and they were not great. Uh, Ryan Rollison is you know definitely a high point for the future, but he missed so much of the 2021 season with health issues that. I don't think he's going to be ready to rock and roll as a big league starting pitcher at the beginning of the 2022 season. And I also don't think the Rockies are going to be the kind of team that would bring in, say, Kevin Gaussman or something like that on a relatively big deal to sort of bolster the rotation, even though that's a move I would really, really like them to do. But it's probably not going to happen. So... yeah. It's tough because he is, you know, John Gray is, he's going to be 30 in the 2022 season. And you look at, you know, you brought up the Eduardo Rodriguez contract. Eduardo Rodriguez is, you know, a little younger and a little better than John right now. And that's a, a pretty solid deal for both him and the Tigers. And I think it is really going to not necessarily complicate, but it's definitely going to change how the Rockies negotiate with Gray if they still are negotiating with him. Yeah, 100%. So, if is such a big part of that, isn't it? We'll just have to see if it's something that they can come to terms with and hope they can get him back for next season. But we won't know until it happens, you know what I mean? Last little bit of Rockies news is pretty light compared to everything we talk about now, and that's that the AAA Albuquerque Isotopes have their new hitting coach, and it is one Jordan Pacheco, former uh, player for the Rockies, played some third base, played some catcher, Played a little bit of first base for them, and some of those, uh, some of those, um, I didn't want to say tougher seasons, but they were not great seasons. Uh, what do you guys make on this? A quick little, uh, what's your take on Jordan Pacheco being on AAA, Skyler? Uh, good for him. Uh, <laughs> you know, being an, he's an Albuquerque native. You know, went to the University mm-hmm. of New Mexico. You know, he, so he's a Lobo. You know, and it, it's good for him because, you know, when Pacheco first came up, he's an interesting one because his Rookie season of 2012, you know, was a really good season. He got some rookie of the year votes. He hit like over 300. Played in like the fifth most games. Had 100. Played in over 130 games that season. Mm-hmm. And you know, he filled in a lot of holes for the Rockies that year. That third base, first base, kind of rotating around. But then they kind of the Rockies really stunted his development where they tried to like, oh, you're going to be a catcher now. And so they tried mm-hmm. to transition him over into a catcher, and that just began this weird decline in you know, both his numbers defensively and offensively. You know, he never really got a chance again to have a regular spot like he did in 2012. So his numbers just right. declined throughout his, the rest of his big league career, where he last appeared in like 2016 or something uh, with the uh, – with the Cincinnati Reds only for a little bit. And I think he struck out like 14 times and just like the couple of games he played in. And then he's always been really good in the minors. 
And just recently, this season, uh, here in 2021, he played down in uh, over in the Atlantic League, in the Independent League, where he actually had like a pretty good year. He slashed 370, 447, 551, had four homers, 29 RBIs, 11 doubles. And this is some this other number that is really a good thing for the Rockies organization as a whole, especially those guys in AAA, was he had 14 walks against 11 strikeouts. And if you look into Pacheco's just career numbers and kind of more into the, the metrics and stuff, he was always a really patient, well-disciplined batter at the plate and mm-hmm. was really good, laid off pitches outside of the zone, was really good at making contact on pitches in the zone. So he's always just a really high-contact guy and a low-strikeout guy. And for him to be able to come and join the, the Rockies organization, help there in AAA with those young guys, uh, I think it's a pretty good thing. I think he'll do a lot of good there, and hopefully it helps breed more of this high-contact, you know, low-strikeout mentality the Rockies really need. Dig it. Yeah, man. How about you got for it, Evan? Uh, Skyler beat me to the punch on his uh, 2021 <laughs> season with the Lexington Legends. Um, but he did, and he had a really solid season there. And a thing I really like about Jordan Pacheco is that he really is, he's a baseball lifer. He was drafted by the Rockies in 2007, and he has played in some capacity every single year since then, be it in the minor leagues or in Mexico or in Dominican winter ball or in independent leagues. He never quit playing, even when it was pretty clear that his major league career was over his his Mm -hmm. last major league at bats were in 2016 and yet he still kept up with it and i think a transition into coaching is really really great for him especially in his hometown of albuquerque you know born raised in albuquerque and i think that's really cool that he sort of gets to have this homecoming of getting to stay in baseball and getting to do it in his hometown with the team that he spent so much time with and I, I do agree, especially with um, what Skyler was talking about with his low strikeout rates. He has a career strikeout rate of only 14.2%. That's really, really solid. And his first couple years with the Rockies, uh, especially in that really strong 2012 season, uh, in 2012 he had just a, a 12.1 strikeout rate. He doesn't draw a ton of walks, but he doesn't strike out a lot. And that is fine. I will always take contact and putting the ball in play over striking out. And yeah. he's got like I'm looking at his his career rates and he's got a he's got some a pretty decent spread of um putting the ball out in line drives and fly balls and you know he he couldn't really keep his career going as a big league player and I think I agree with Skyler that a lot of that has to do with how they were in a very rough time for the organization trying to find what they what they thought the perfect spot for was for him and that did cause some issues because the Rockies do love converting infielders to catchers and mm-hmm. it doesn't always work and it didn't work for for Jordan Pacheco but you look at the the potential he had and it's definitely you know sad to see that things didn't work out for him but I am happy that he's returning to the organization and I think he can do a lot of good as part of the Isotopes coaching staff. And hopefully this will be the start of a 
you know, long and storied coaching career for him. Maybe someday we even see him as a big league coach with the Rockies where he's a base coach or something. That'd be great. He threw me a ball once, so I'm all for it. <laughs> and that is that is the long and short of my analysis. <laughs> so with that being said, very happy for Jordan Pacheco. Uh, looking forward to seeing his work with the isotopes. Let's get into arguably the most controversial part of our podcast today, and that is the end-of-the-year MLB awards. So, of course, everyone watching baseball knows that every single season, at the end of the season, we have our big awards presented the manager of the year, the gold gloves, the Cy Young's rookie of the year, things like that, culminating, of course, in the MVP. So we're going to play a little game. This is called Three True Outcomes. With the rise of sabermetrics and with the rise of StatCast and all that, we really have honed in on what are called the three true outcomes in baseball. Home run, walk, and strikeout. Those are those three outcomes occur more than any other in the game, and so I wanted to play a game with my two compatriots here. I'm going to list the award, and I'm going to list the winner. And Evan and Skyler are going to tell me if the voters, the Baseball Right Association of America, either hit a home run, they nailed the pick, they walked, meaning it's a fine pick, you know, not that exciting, or if they struck out and missed entirely. So let's hop right into it. We'll do the gold gloves here in just a second. We'll do the silver sluggers as well. I'll start off with maybe the manager of the year. So the manager of the year for the American League was once again Kevin Cash. He took the Royals to a hundred victories. They obviously did not advance into the World Series again, but they were obviously a great team, uh, at least by the record books. He is the um, manager of the year again after winning it uh, last year. Um, and so, did I say Royals? I'm sorry, my bad, I meant race. <laughs> my fault. Thanks for shouting me out, Evan, appreciate you. But yeah, what do y'all take on this thing? You guys got Kevin Cash as the manager of the year. Are you happy with that? What is your three-true outcome? Is it a home run, a walk, or a strikeout, Evan? Uh, oh, you know, it's tricky. I'm going to go with... I'm going to have Ooh. to go with the strikeout, I think. Yeah? Who you got over him? Uh, my choice legitimately would have been Scott Surveyus for the Seattle Mariners, where he took a team coming out of a rebuild and just blew away expectations where, you know, they were still in it up to the very end of the season and very much could have, could have made it to the playoffs. Whereas the other two candidates, um, Kevin Cash and Dusty Baker, they, their teams were not that different from last year and both mm-hmm. are incredibly loaded with talent and you know Kevin Cash even got supplements to that where he still had Randy Rosarena from last year and then got Wander Franco and I also don't like rewarding the Rays penny pinching um I I think in general what they do I am I am all for being smart and frugal when it comes to contracts but I think what overall the Rays do is bad for baseball and I also don't think that Kevin Cash is that great of a manager. I think he's a fine manager. I think he's a good manager. But he took a team that was already talented and playoff proven, that was in the playoffs last year, and took them back to the playoffs. And normally I would say that would that would win it for you, but it's the same with Dusty Baker, where Dusty Baker managed the Astros. The Astros were already an incredibly talented team coming off of being in the playoffs again. And they went back to the playoffs versus the most improved team 
that I think had the best managing done was the Mariners because they played so much better than everyone expected. And Scott Cervais has been a very good manager for this team. And I think it says a lot to him and how the team is constructed and how he runs the team that they went from, you know, these these rebuilding basement dwellers to, like, legitimately were contending for a playoff spot very, very late in the season. So I would have gone with Scott Cervais. Okay. So Evan says strikeout on the American League National – or excuse me, American League National, God's sakes, game and talk. <laughs> American League Manager of the Year – what do you think, Skyler? What's your uh, what's your spot uh, on here? I'm just gonna go with a walk where that doesn't really matter to me. But I do agree with what Evan was saying. Like, oh, how much managing does Kevin Cash have to do when he already has a very talented group of players who <laughs> have time and time again these past couple of years proven that they're very good? And even yeah. with all the shuffling that the Rays do, um, I would have. I would have even been fine if Dusty Baker had gotten it because he did do a lot of good with that with that club in Houston. But I think ultimately I would have preferred uh, the Mariners. But mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter to me. The manager of the year doesn't matter as much to me because how much of an impact sometimes does a does a manager actually have? Oh. Sure, sure. Well, I'll tell you what. If there's one guy that it looks like really impacted his team, uh, it was the NL Manager of the Year, and that was, of course, Gabe Kapler of the Giants. Uh, the other um, the other uh, nominees were Mike Schilt of the Cardinals, which is a little bit awkward as they cut him out to the season, and Craig Council of the Brewers. So I'll start with you this time, Skylar, just because, you know, pick on you. Uh, you uh, happy with this pick for Gabe Kapler? The Giants won 107 games. That was the best record in the uh game actually is the best record in MLB um you know I got into a brutal series with the Dodgers and then of course we all know how that ended up so are you cool with Gabe Kapler winning the NL manager of the year I'm gonna do my Wii Sports uh impression here home run okay. <laughs> amazing uh, so you're great yeah because you look the giant the Giants came out of nowhere they weren't expected to win that many games this year because they had mm-hmm. all these kind of random pieces, these, you know, guys, kind of these reclamation projects, short deals, you know, a team of relative nobodies. So to speak, outside of like Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, and Buster Posey, they don't really have like those huge big name guys on their team these days. But then they just kept winning. And I think having – a guy that can, you know, work that roster, utilize guys in the right positions and stuff. You know, that's where the manager, you know, does a lot to maximize the results of what you're given. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas Kevin Cash for the Rays, uh, his guys are going to do what they're going to do because they have the, all the analytics and everything behind him. He just writes out the lineup and chooses what pitchers to do what day and how to organize the lineup. But I think with Gabe Kapler there in the National League, he took down the Dodgers and prevented their another division title this year. So good on him. I, I perfectly fine. I think they got it right. Dig it. And how about you, Evan? Home run. Yep. Home run enough, huh? for for all the, for all the same reasons. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Nothing else to add on it. 
honestly, no. Like he nice. knocked out the Dodgers from another NL West crown, and that's good enough yeah, good. for me. Gosh darn it! Plus that dude's ripped. <laughs> Plus he's yeah, he's jacked. What's and that about? A, he is a he is a strange man. Gabe Kapler <laughs> is a weird guy, and if you Google some of his opinions, he's weird. Hey, but he was a good manager this year, and he absolutely. Um, was the was the NL manager of the year? Plus, he was a former Rocky, so that's kind of a win that we got there. this year. <laughs> Always helps. Always digs it. Uh, in the interest of speeding this up just a little bit, I'll do both uh, NL and AL at the same time going forward. So we got the Cy Young in the National League. It was between Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer, and Zach Wheeler, and uh, ended up winning, uh, being given to Corbin Burns. And then in the AL, it was between Garrett Cole, Lance Lynn, and Robbie Ray, taken home by Robbie Ray of the Blue Jays. So those two picks, you can tell me if you like them both, Evan, but it's up to you. What do you got on the Cy Young Awards for the National League and the American League? Uh, National League, I'm going to go with a walk. I think it would have been fine for whoever won those. I think all three of these pitchers were really, really excellent this year. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Personal bias, I probably would have gone Max Scherzer. But just because you love Max Scherzer, I do love Max Scherzer. But yeah, you do. Um, I think Corbin Burns is more than more than deserving of it. Um, he was a really, really solid pitcher this year. Uh, sure. American League home run. I wouldn't have picked anybody but Robbie Ray after the season yep. that he had, and it appears that the uh, writers agreed with me because he was almost unanimous. Uh, Twenty-nine out of thirty first place votes for Robbie Ray. Huge, huge bounce back season after he. Honestly, it was not that good last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and this was, this was after the crackdown of the sticky stuff and things like that, where he had a really, really good year. And he definitely was deserving of the, um, the American League Cy Young. And I'm really happy for him because I really like Robbie Ray. Yeah, man. Dig it. And how you got these uh, going, Skyler? Are you uh, happy with these picks? I think for the National League, I'm going to say strikeout. Uh, just because I think Zach Wheeler or Max Scherzer were more deserving. Uh, but, mm-hmm. again, it's whatever. But I just mm-hmm. like Zach Wheeler was a workhorse this year, you know, pitched more than anybody else, and still had a fantastic mm-hmm. ERA, you know, made 32 mm-hmm. starts, went 14-10. and 10. He had three complete games, two shutouts, faced a bunch of batters, <laughs> faced like 850 batters, you know, had a yeah. war of 7.6. So he also led the National League in strikeouts with 247. So um, a fantastic year by Wheeler. I think he was more deserving. But, again, at the end of the day, it's whatever with the National League. It's and then, yeah, same as Evan, home run in the American League, Robbie Ray in his tight, tight pants. Oh, <laughs> got the job done. Oh, my God. It's not that kind of podcast, Skyler. Well, Hey, I, I'm not the one that's dedicating a Twitter account to him. Whoever the weirdo is on the internet doing that. Watch, it's going to be oh it's going to be revealed that our um, our editor is the one running that account. <laughs> Probably is, man. Honestly, yeah, Robbie Ray, man, incredible. Led the American League in earned run average, or in the American League in earned run average, innings pitched, WHIP. Actually, led the majors with 248 strikeouts. Great, great, great year for him. Let's go to Rookie of the Year for the AL. We've got Randy Arozarena winning that. Kind of interesting that Randy Arozarena's big coming out party was the 2020 postseason, but he had his first full season in the majors, ended up taking home the Rookie of the Year for the Rays. And then in the National League, it was Jonathan India of the Reds. 
He led all Major League rookies in on-base percentage, doubles, walks, runs scored, games played. Uh, you guys happy with those two picks? Uh, Skyler? Uh, with the National League home run, Jonathan India deserved it, had a great year, put together a fantastic season. Uh, Looks great, And he, he was on my fantasy team, just like Robbie Ray was. So. Oh, of course. <laughs> okay. Some bias yeah, no, there. So of course and I was good. the champion this totally. year. So. Uh, hey. But the American League, I gonna say it's a strikeout and mostly because i didn't like i didn't quite agree with any of the finalists that were chosen no wow okay it's difficult because with the 2020 season guys like randy arosarena they kept their rookie status so here he had this experience in the big league level no fantastic postseason everything and then he gets the rookie of the year the next year when he plays a full Mm -hmm. season no, I. It's always just a hard argument with that one. It's like when guys from Cuba, sure, or like sure. when like Jose Abreu comes over, or you no know, Ichiro or Shohei Otani come over and they win the Rookie of the Year. Like, yeah, you've been playing yeah. professional baseball for like six years at a very high level, but to, it that's a tough one. And Wander Franco, he didn't play enough for my taste. Um, so I think there are at least snubs of just who didn't get nominated. Like guys that filled out the whole season, like uh, Garcia down in Texas with the Rangers. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah. I'm gonna say strikeout, right. but good on him. Real quick, did you have anybody that you should have that they should have had nominated? Uh, the one that I mentioned from the Texas Rangers was yeah, like, least Garcia. Yeah, I think he, yeah. uh, if nothing else, at least deserved a nomination over Wander Franco, who. I purely gets it. Yeah, he had a good 70-some-odd games, but I think it's strictly the fact that he's the baseball's number one pick. Of course he's going to get nominated as Rookie of the Year or number mm-hmm. one prospect. Okay, I can dig it. How about you, Evan, Rookie of the Year? Um, National League, home run as well. Jonathan India was amazing this year. Uh, led all qualifying rookie batters in war, had a great OPS, had – uh, double-digit home runs, double-digit stolen bases. He was really, really good, and that's that's all there really is to say. I think the other two nominees were, were also really good. Dylan Carlson down in St. Louis was great, and you know Trevor Rogers was just absolutely fantastic as a rookie pitcher with the Marlins, but yep. I don't think either of them beat out India. Um, for American League, I'm not going to go with a strikeout. I'm going to go with a walk. Um, okay. I can see why Randy Rosarena won. But I do think, like Skyler said, it is so complicated because his rookie status is intact despite playing a whole bunch last year. Right. And there are definitely some snubs on this on the list, like uh, like Adelis Garcia with the Texas Rangers was great, and he was an all-star. If I had to pick from the three nominees, which are Rosarena, Wander Franco, and Luis Garcia... I would have gone with Wander Franco. I know that he did not play as much, but the amount that he did play, he was really, really, really good. He finished with a slash of 288, 347, 463. He had a 43-game on-base streak, tying Frank Robinson as the longest on-base streak for a batter 20 years old or younger. And he did slump a little bit, but he finished the season in like his last 300 plate appearances hitting over 300. Like he was he was really good. He was as advertised for you know such an exciting prospect. 
Absolutely. Number one guy, man. He was always going to be something. Before we get to the big one, MVP, I want to get you guys mad a little bit. So let's talk about the Silver Sluggers and the Gold Gloves. Specifically, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what y'all going to say. Justin Turner was anyway. snubbed at second base. <laughs> <laughs> second base, bro. What? Yeah, man. I don't know how that even got past the editing room. But yeah, so let's go Gold Gloves first. So um, you guys have the lists I know available, so I'm not going to run down the whole thing. Uh, this is sort of a bit harder to do home runs and um, three true outcomes with in general. So what do y'all say? Any snubs here in the gold glove list? Anybody that like stood out to you? Just we'll start off. Anybody um, from the gold gloves and then platinum glove for each. Uh, Correa won the American League and then Arenado won the National League. Evan, what do you make of the gold glove award winners this year? Uh, yep. Just I, I, say will, I, I already know what you're gonna say. <laughs> uh. It's really, really stupid. <laughs> Good. The the amount of Cardinals that won gold gloves, I think, was ridiculous. Uh, especially when the majority of the players who won gold gloves at Cardinals were not even the like the were not even the best you know defensive players at their position, or even the best of the nominees. The ones that really get me, and I. I hate to say it, but Nolan Arenado should not have won the Gold Glove at third base this year. He well, wait, Evan, who should it have been? It should have been Ryan McMahon, who played over a hundred innings at third base and had over double the amount of defensive runs saved and a better UZR. Bang. He was just a better defensive third baseman than Nolan this year, and I love Nolan. Nolan is an incredible third baseman, but he had a down year defensively where he had a huge uptick in errors and. Um, he just, he wasn't the same as we normally see him. I think that's partially just adjusting to a new team and also bouncing back from, you know, being injured last year. But Ryan McMahon was a better defensive third baseman than Nolan Arenado. Heck, Ryan McMahon was a better defensive second baseman than Tommy Edmond, who won Mm -hmm. the gold glove also with the Cardinals for second base. And I think what hurts, um, McMahon there is that he didn't have anywhere near the amount of innings there, but at the same time, he still had a better DRS and UZR than Tommy Edmond. And, you know, Ryan McMahon had the, the most total defensive run saved in the entire league this year and just got completely, completely snubbed where Mm -hmm. he should have been the winner. Like it's not, it should not be a popularity contest, and I understand that it partially is. But yes, Nolan Arenado is one of the best defensive third basemen of all time. But this isn't an all-time award; it's the 2021 award, and he sure. was not the best defensive third baseman this season. Right on, Tom. How it is? What do you got, Scott? Uh, I'm in the sake of the game. It's a walk on pretty much everything. Okay, uh, because at the end. Of- they, yeah, that it's mostly it's a very subjective thing. Like Evan said, it it does become that popularity contest, the coverage thing, the reputation among the absolutely the, all the coaches and everybody that's voting on it. Now, yes, Ryan McMahon, and this is partly on the Rockies, where Ryan McMahon should have been the starting third baseman on opening day and been there every single game he could throughout the entire season. Oh. 
where he could occasionally go over to second if they needed to. But if, because I believe if Ryan McMahon had started third base opening day and spent the entire season there, this gold glove would be his. Just because in the time that he did there, look how amazing he was. Spectacular defense played over there. And we could have had even more of it if he had just been there opening day. But instead, we got Nolan's cousin on opening day. And no, good on Nolan because, yes, he is a good defender, always will be. And that reputation plays into, well, let's go ahead and just keep him, keep that streak going for him and see if he can break the gold glove record in his career. But yeah, whatever. I, I would have preferred Ryan McMahon to win at something, but I'm definitely a lot grumpier than a lot of other people. I will admit that, but I knew that Evan was going to be hot about this. Come one, on, man. come and listen, on! If, if you think Evan's hot about the Gold Glove, we would talk about the Silver Sluggers. Oh my god! So let's get into that. The American League again. You guys have the list out in front of you. I'm going to start with Evan again. Uh, American League and National League Silver Sluggers. What do you have on these? They're all mostly fine. Like All mostly. The only one that I am really, really heated about, if you can guess who it is, <laughs> is for the final year of, for likely final year of there being a Silver Slugger for pitchers, Armand Marquez was nominated, as he absolutely should have been. Right. And he did not win. And that. And by the way, Max Freed of the Braves won. How do you feel about Max Freed winning specifically? Max Freed is a font, was a a good hitter this year. He led in average and he led in on base percentage. This isn't called the on base per, silver on base percentage <laughs> award. It's the silver <laughs> slugger award. And of the nominees, Armon Marquez is the best slugger. He had the most doubles. He had the second most hits. He had the only home run, and he had the most RBIs with a slugging percentage of 415, which is way above everybody else. This should have been Ermon's award, and I think I'm uh, not. I think I am. I'm so frustrated that he didn't win it because you look at it, and he was he was the best slugging pitcher, and his at bats were more valuable i think with the with the more rbis and overall he had a higher um offensive baseball reference war than all of the other nominees because mm-hmm. uh max freed had some has a very cool moments he had that walk off which was really cool which was cool um and he drew more walks fine erwan <laughs> marquez was the most valuable i think in terms of his at bats this year for all of the other pitching candidates. And, you know, it was a weird list of candidates to begin with. For some reason, Madison Bumgarner was a finalist, despite the mm-hmm. fact that he only slashed 103, 280, 128. Like, he was, he was not a very good hitter Name value. this year. And uh, DeGrom, I can see him being on there, but he didn't make it past the All-Star break, so he, you know, shouldn't have won regardless. But... I this is the one I I'm even more heated about this one than than Ryan McMahon is oh, that Erman was robbed. And so Skylar, do you share the opinion that Erman Marquez was robbed, and just any other you know thoughts on these uh, Silver Sluggers? Erman Marquez was 
taking a nice tres leches cake over to his buddy Elias Diaz, and Max Street broke into his house and stole his silver slugger award. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Amazing. No, because everything like Evan said, Armand was the better hitter. Like you can look at their compared stats and everything, and yes, Max Fried in some areas was better, but overall as a hitter, you know, the Armand Marquez had a home run this year off of you Darvish mm-hmm. to dead center at Petco Park. Like that's he was very good on the road. You can't say that Marquez is just a Coors Field product because he had a better average and everything on the road than he did at right. Coors Field. He hit a bunch of doubles at Coors Field. Uh, and Max Freed was awful away from SunTrust Park or whatever they call that place now. Uh, he had like a ER, uh, batting average almost to 400 at home, but then on the road he was hitting like a buck 50 or something. And so overall I think Marquez, he was robbed. This was should have been his award. Oh. And that's not just us being biased. It's the cold, hard facts that we bring on this podcast. That's right. That's right. We bring you the takes and no one else will do it. And then the very last one, the MVP. For the National League, it was Bryce Harper. And then for the American League, it was Shohei Otani. This one, I will do each one specifically. So I'll start with the National League one. Skyler, what do you make of Bryce Harper being the National League MVP? Uh, walk. And okay. Well, it's because no, I, I think all were were deserving. Uh, Fernando mm-hmm. Tatis, because they, they all had kind of different seasons and everything. Where Tatis had a really good first half and everything, but then, you know, kind of bearded off a little bit during the second half, and then Bryce Harper had a rough first half, but then really turned it on in the second half and. No, really carried that Phillies team, and then Juan Soto was just Juan Soto doing whatever. Uh, had good moments, had bad moments, but overall still doing crazy things. Uh, but I think I'm fine with Bryce Harper getting it because he really did carry that Phillies Phillies team for a time, especially in that August and September down the stretch. He was the reason they were still in that playoff hunt you know, offensively. Where he carried that team, he dealt. There were all the injuries that that lineup was dealing with. You know, the bullpen was blowing run, blowing games and everything. But he was yep do everything offensively to carry that team and give them wins. And you know, an MVP. It doesn't matter if your team is in playoff contention or not. It's how valuable you are as a player to any given team. And Bryce Harper for the Phillies, he was the most valuable. I could see the arguments for the other guys. I would have been fine with either of them. But Bryce Harper getting it, I, I think he earned it this year. Dig it. Evan, you got Harper winning your MVP? Uh, I'm also going to go with a walk on this one. I, I do agree that all three candidates with very different seasons are were all incredibly deserving to even be nominated. And especially going with the it doesn't matter if your team is a playoff team for you to be the MVP so that none of these teams are in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. How about that? And How about that? I definitely do. I think I do agree that Harper was probably the most valuable to his team of all the nominees. Um, and Juan Soto was Juan Soto. Um, Tatis, I think, of the three, probably had the weakest case just because of his health issues. Mm-hmm. But he was really, really good this year. All three of these guys were really, really good. But I, I do 
agree with Harper being overall the most valuable um, to his team, especially with, you know, he led the, he led the league in OPS and way to runs created plus and had the third best walk rate and the six most home runs. He, he did it across every single, um, every single part of being valuable to your team versus just hitting a bunch of home runs or, or anything like that. Beautiful. And then the American League MVP. I'll start with you this time, Evan. We'll wrap this thing up. We have got Shohei Otani winning the American League MVP. I think I already know what you're about to say about this, but let's just see. The other players that were nominated were Vlad Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays and Marcus Simeon of the Blue Jays as well. How about that? We had uh, MVP candidates on two teams uh, for two players. How about that? But um, what do you make of this, Evan? Is Shohei your MVP or did they miss out on this one? So, I don't know if this is going to be a controversial opinion, but I'm going to go with a walk on this one. Oh, wow. Okay, explain. I, I adore Shohei Otani, and he had a really, really incredible season, something that's never, ever been done before. But I think that's a huge part of it, where, because this was something that had never really been done before, of a guy who was an incredible batter and also a really, really good pitcher. Mm-hmm that it was his to lose sort of from the get-go when he started breaking out. Because mm. I think if Shohei was just a regular hitter and not also a pitcher, this race would have been extremely close. Because the other two finalists, of uh, Vladdy Jr. and Marcus Semyon, both had really, really strong seasons where they, they crushed the ball, they hit well. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., almost won the triple crown. Like he slashed 311, 401, 601, had the second highest OPS in the majors at 1.002. He hit 48 home runs. He walked a lot. He didn't strike out at all. He was really, really good. And I think if Shohei Otani hadn't turned in a great season at two positions, it probably would have been Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s award to win. But Shohei Otani did play two positions. Yes, and I did. can absolutely see and understand and even agree with him winning the MVP because what he did was incredible, where he was not only a really, really good hitter with 46 home runs and 26 stolen bases and just really dominant when he came to the plate, though his second half was, was not as good as his first half. He was also a really strong pitcher where he had an ERA of 3.18 in 130 innings, um, which was uh, eighth, I think, overall for American League pitchers with at least 130 innings. And he also you know struck out a ton of batters, and it really made him just have an unforgettable season where you've got this incredible threat on on both sides of the ball and that's definitely why he deserved to win it but i say walk instead of home run because it does have that massive caveat of if this hadn't been something that had never been done before or if shohei otani was just a really good hitter or just a really good pitcher this wouldn't have been i think the expected result Okay, beautiful breakdown, Evan. What you got on this, Skyler? I'll make this quick with another impression. Home <laughs> run! Let's do it. 
Yeah, man. Everything Shohei did this year on both sides of the ball and really carrying that Angels team in the absence of Mike Trout and everything, and that he was able to do it on both sides of the ball, be one of their best pitchers and one of their best hitters, there's no doubt that, yeah, he's he's the MVP this year. And I'm sure Vladdy will get another shot. He's still on the rise. But now that the novelty's worn off with Shohei, I think – like if he did the same stuff next year, I think Vladdy would take it if it happened like next season. But now that Shohei's got his MVP, that's great. We can commemorate this historic season. Give him that; he's more than d- deserving of it, and everything should be mm-hmm. good. So, home run! Beautiful home run, dig it. And that is it, gentlemen. Appreciate you sticking with me and then running through this uh, first iteration of uh, three true outcomes. Let us know on Twitter. Do you guys agree with all of these award winners through the season? Were there any that we uh, missed out on or anything that uh, you guys wanted to discuss that we didn't talk about? Please let us know, man. But that's it for us today. A little bit longer podcast. That's okay. We got lots to talk about. We're going to do this once a month. Uh, any closing thoughts from you, gentlemen? Uh, so real quick, I want to bring up, we're not going to go terribly in depth to it because everything is still in progress at time of recording. It is the deadline for cementing 40 mans for the off season with rule five protections. Uh, the Rockies have not completed theirs yet. Um, they just, while we were recording hit 39 of 40 by protecting, uh, Ezekiel Tovar, uh, Noah Davis and Ryan Rawlison from the rule five draft by adding them to their 40 man roster. We'll go over things a little bit more detail with an article on the site in either today or tomorrow. Um, Beautiful. just cause it's not done yet. And even if it was, we just don't have a ton of time left here. So keep an eye on that. Beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Skylar, anything you want to get off your chest? Um, yes. <laughs> no. Uh, be sure to check okay. out my uh, – go ahead and go look at my baseball content on YouTube of our little purple row sim. Uh, Please do. I know I'm not the perfect broadcaster, but it's a lot of fun, and it's just something to help everybody have some baseball content to watch. So you can find it on my YouTube – find it on the Purple Row site. Just look up the Purple Row Sim uh, or What If World Series. And I will probably be looking out for some more ideas of what people would want to see, what type of games and rosters, all that good stuff. So Love it. Good stuff. Yeah, please check out Skylar's uh, uh, series, man. It's a lot of fun. Brother's working hard on it. It's a blast to watch. Skylar, what can they find you, you find on Twitter? at sideline underscore crowd. Dig it. Evan, where you at? Uh, you can find me at, at Evan underscore Lang27. You can also find us at the official Affected by Altitude Twitter, which is at Altitude Effect. Beautiful. And you can hit me up at Cormac Battle Pro, which is C O R M A C Battle Pro. Talk to me about pro wrestling and talk to me about who your favorite Smash character is. Let's get out of here, man. Appreciate you guys sticking with us through this thing. As always, check us out here whenever we decide to upload next week be that a month or a couple days you'll never know just gotta keep on checking the site skylar hit him with it farewell home run and we are out (laughs) bye y'all